going to take a couple of our guys a little while to get used to just the elementary kids downstairs once a month, but I think they'll make it work. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, before we get to the sermon, I just wanted to take a minute and um, pray for a couple people in our congregation. Um, we have a lady uh, that fell and broke her hip several weeks ago and had surgery, and uh, another lady we know just fell and uh, shattered her knee a couple days ago, and she's waiting for surgery. Uh, so I'm not sure if either of them want their names mentioned from this stage, but I just want to pray for their continued recovery and just uh, the right care for them as well. Uh, God, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to touch uh, the people that have had their hip uh, break in surgery, Lord, and the one whose knee is now awaiting surgery. I just pray that you would give them the, the best medical care, God, that you would supernaturally heal them, and uh, just give them the comfort, God, and the reassurance by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty clearly a perfectionist. I'm pretty clearly like the type A personality. I'm pretty hard on myself. And, uh, you know, 38 years of that, I've, I've learned some strategies to manage that and learned some ways that I can, uh, you know, tell myself who, who God says I am and the grace that he has for me. Um, but it's so hard when I see that reflected in my own kids, right? And as a parent, I'm trying to make sure that I'm not, not putting any of that on them, that I'm not uh, putting expectations that are too high or calling them to things that uh, aren't developmentally appropriate, right? At the same time, trying to raise little humans that uh, are loving and kind and uh, hopefully a joy rather than a pain to be around. But, you know, the humans and their small res results are going to vary. Um, but some of the same, right, genetics and tendencies is just that perfectionism showing in some of them. And the frustration that they show sometimes when they're trying to do what's good and they just can't. I'm like, oh, buddy, I, I, I feel you, right? And so there's been times when we've just, like, hugged them and held them. We're like, I, I know, I know, like, I, I know you're trying to do it, but you can't do it. But it's, it's okay, right? Because this is who God is. He's the God of grace. And he's the God that's going to enable them to grow up in the character that he's called them to, um, that we can live in, in response to God's grace and not having to achieve perfection first for it. Uh, and, and I love that Psalm 146 that we're finishing this series with today um, is just so clearly about who God is, um, regardless of how we've done. It's such a looking ahead to Jesus, such a reminder of God's character versus trust in people or trust in ourselves. And uh, some of us are more likely to trust in ourselves than we are to other people. We don't have, have an easy time relying on others. Some of us, it's the other way around, that we, we often look to support from others and uh, we don't trust ourselves as much. Um, but whether we're people that look outside of ourselves to other people or tend to look inwards, um, most of us need some help in having some focus on the God who is our help, that God is the one who ultimately provides good in dark situations and works, works through people and, and through us. God is ultimately the one who can sustain us and give us a supernatural comfort and peace and joy and strength. And of course, God is the only one who can deal with our sin. On our own, we're completely incapable of dealing with it. We're completely incapable of acting well enough or right enough in pleasing God. And I was uh, listening to one, one artist uh, do a, do a song this week, and just in the prelude, they were talking about, you know, like, making God happy isn't about doing the right things, right? Like, clearly, we, we, we do righteous things, and we do things out of obedience and live in response to what Christ has done. But what God calls us to do at the basis is to trust in him and believe that he loves us, that we live in understanding that he's done what we could never do for ourselves. 
And then he went on to talk a little bit about those of us who can go into self-loathing, those of us who can go into perfectionism being so frustrated with ourselves. And I thought this was pretty striking, and he says, you know, self-loathing in some sense can just be another form of self-worship. Because even looking negatively at ourselves, we're still looking at ourselves. And I'm like, well, that's great, one more thing to feel bad about, right? But really, it's freeing, right? Because we don't have to spend all this energy looking at the ways in which we're flawed and we don't measure up and we don't make it. We can turn our eyes to Jesus. So he went on to say that, you know, spending all that energy on your own sin and not on the people God called us to love isn't what God wants. Christ has dealt with our sin. And if there's relationships that we need to heal or things that we need to do, there's responsibility that we can have in this life. But we don't want to be so focused on the ways that we don't measure up that we fail to see that the gospel is so great for us and for the people that we know. God wants us to spend our energy on the people that he's given us to love. So he said, look at the cross of Christ, which is so precious. God gave his own son so that you and others can be part of his family. That's what God has done. So that our focus can be on him and not on ourselves and how we do or how we don't, don't do things. C.S. Lewis famously said that when you're humble, it doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less, right? That it's not just about thinking about me and what happens to me um, and thinking that I'm not so great, but just being able to focus on the things outside of ourselves and our, and our own orbit. There was a great uh, Welsh minister named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was reflecting on Psalm 146, and he said, do you realize that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We take a lot of our cues from our own brains, right? Our own thoughts, our own actions. And the Psalms tell us something very different. Speak to your soul. Tell yourself what to do. And Psalm 146 is no different. Um, Psalm 146 to, to the, the very end of Psalms are what they call Hallel Psalms. There's also a chunk of them back in 113 to 118. But what they do is the Hallel Psalms, they begin and end like this. Praise ye the Lord. In Hebrew, that's hallelujah. Hallel Ujah, right? There's a kid's song that you might have learned if you've grown up in church, and it's a call and response. So if I say, hallelujah, 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 you say? And then you say, hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. So that's the end of the Psalms. That's Psalm 146 to 150. That's 113 to 118. These are the Hallel Psalms because they begin and end with hallelujah in Hebrew, which is praise ye the Lord. You're speaking to your soul. And at the end of this one, they're going to speak to the people around them and say for everyone to praise the Lord. So like a lot of the Psalms, they start off speaking to yourself and then they go to this community focus at the end. And it's telling us what to do. So I'm just going to read it through one time. I think it's only nine verses. And then I'm just going to go kind of unpack it chunk by chunk. So here's the whole thing. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. 
but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Verse 10, one more verse. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. And then the collective, praise the Lord. And that's how it ends. That's Psalm 146, and that's how the book of Psalms ends for God's people. And again, as the book of Psalms was written over many years, we have Psalms written by Moses and songs all through the kings and David. These are the Psalms put at the end of the book of God's people who have been allowed to return to their land by God's miraculous work, saying, look at what God has done. Look at God's salvation. We thought that this would never happen. We thought that things were done for, but God has acted. And God has enabled us to return to our homeland in Jerusalem. So he says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Before we call anybody else to worship God, we're going to call ourselves to worship God, right? That's how it always starts, and it's the pattern that is in the Psalms, that if you're somebody who's leading worship, you're going to be first somebody who is a worshiper, right? And before we go into the collective worship, before we show up on Sunday, there's a pattern here of God's people saying to their own souls in their own lives, praise God. Remember, I'm going to do this as long as I live. I'm going to remember what he's done for us. And then I'm not going to put my trust, verse 3, in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Verse 5, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. That blessed there is the Hebrew Asher. It's happy. Some people are, are named Asher, and that's what it comes from because it means the person who's happy. This blessing from God, it's those whose help is the Lord their God, the God of Jacob. And he's pointing here to history. There's a song by Elevation Worship. It's probably a couple years old now, and it's called Same God. And it goes like, I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures for generations. It goes on and on to the God of David and the God of Moses and the God of Mary. This is the God that we serve. Our, our capacities are in a human lifespan and human capacities and human power and human wisdom are so limited. But when we call on God, we're calling on the king king of the universe and his power his wisdom his might he's the one who's done all these things in the past and he can do them for us and when we look at the stories of the past that can give us the strength and the encouragement and the endurance so he's telling them the people around him blessed are those more than one of us now whose help is the god of jacob whose hope is in the lord or god, the lord their god there's a photo here um, my sister found some new photos in the in the library in niagara of my great-great-grandparents. And so up here we have John P. Gertz that moved to Canada. And uh, this is, again, my great-great-grandfather. And they moved to an area of Saskatchewan that was originally part of the Northwest Territories and then became part of the Saskatchewan. And life was tough. Life was really tough. There was one winter where they lost five of their children to diphtheria. And the ground was so frozen, they had to leave the coffins in the barn because they couldn't bury them until the spring. Two kids survived. And so John, John J. Gertz, who knows my great-grandfather, we went from great-great-grandfather to great-grandfather, um, was one of the two. And they continued to make a life for themselves in Saskatchewan. And he met Susie Penner. And like my grandma Adeline, Susie Penner was someone who had fled uh, Russia. There was Ukrainians living in Russia, and they were part of the Ukrainians living in Russia. And just like my grandmother Adeline, Susie's family had had their cows uh, confiscated and their grain confiscated by the soldiers, and they were reduced to eating, you know, like leather scraps and belts. Like it, it was, it was a really tough time. So they had fled to Canada, and so Susie and John Jay got married, and so they had children. 
times which happened in Saskatchewan. In 1941, they sold the farm in Saskatchewan, moved down to Niagara. I've got some books at home that have this as well. This is just one of the, the extra pieces that my sister just found recently. Uh, and they moved to Niagara, and they had kids. And there's a picture there of my gr grandfather, Ken Gert Sr. And he's the top row, second from the right. His brother Wilp's in there as well. That's my grandfather. And these kids in Niagara built trucking businesses and heavy equipment businesses and different things with the tenderfruit industry in Niagara. Has six kids and one of them was my dad. God was faithful to my family. It doesn't mean things weren't really tough along the way. It doesn't mean they didn't go through incredible hardship, incredible difficulties that, un until they were established. It doesn't mean they had times of profit and loss, of sickness as well as health. But God is the one who sustained them and saw them through. I remember talking to somebody once about work ethic, and he was like, oh, yeah, you're from Niagara. you got that Niagara work ethic, eh? I'm like, well, I don't know about me, but I know what you mean when you talk about the Niagara work ethic. Like, people worked hard because life was hard. And the legacy that I have from that family is not just that you work hard, but that you're going to trust in what God's going to do because God's the one who makes good out of bad. God is the one that takes you from places where you're fleeing war and from places where you're barely scratching out a living if you know Niagara, it's just the most beautiful climate, beautiful land, beautiful, uh, beautiful country. And God settled them in what is a spacious place, and God did good things for my family. This is the God that we serve. He gave them hope instead of despair, and peace beyond understanding, and, and the courage to keep trying. Because if you look again to the people around you, the circumstances around you, it's pretty easy to give up. But their faith in God sustained them and gave them the ability to keep trying. Verse 6 says, he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. This verse is actually quoted several times in the New Testament. Hebrew 1 talks about like the heavens wear out, but God remains faithful forever. Has anybody ever been to Flowers with Flair and seen the house across the street? It says, thou remainest on the top, and then Hebrews 1 underneath. I'm like, I want to know the story of this church. I've talked to a couple of people who are like into Sioux history, and they don't have a whole lot to say about the building specifically, but I'm like, man, someone at some point put this on the front of this building of like, this is who God is. And even though whatever the original purpose of this building was or any church nearby is no longer there, God remains. Thou remainest. This is also quoted in Acts, and we're going to come to that later. But what does God do with this power? What does God do with his might? Does he do what the ancient gods were thought to do? and just have us serve him without thought for our benefit? Does God just act capriciously and does whatever he wants in an unpredictable manner like the ancients thought that their gods were? No, this is the God we serve. Verse 7 to 9. This is what God does with his power. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. He just returned them to their homeland, right? From Babylon. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Man, God has done this for his people. God has done this for his family, and God is still in the business of doing this for people. This is still who God is. What human beings can't do, God does. And what we so often fail to do, God does. He's the maker. He's faithful. He upholds. He gives food. He sets free. He lifts up. He gives sight. He loves us. And to those who are oppressed or hungry or prisoners, 
those who are blind and bowed down. There's promises there for the righteous, if you're a foreigner, if you're fatherless, if you're a widow, that God has special care and he sees you in that. And in case we have any doubt that that continues in the New Testament, that it is still the character of God, what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 4 when he goes to the synagogue? Jesus goes there and they have the scroll from Isaiah and he reads this part of it because it's, it's the text for that day. And so he picks it up and this is what Jesus reads. And he says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And he goes on, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what Jesus came to do. He was the one who was going to set people free, not just from their physical circumstances, their political things going on, but from the power of sin, death, and the devil. The reason Christ appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ came to set people free, not just in this life, but for eternity, not just from the things we see, but from sin what sacrifices could never accomplish that Christ would do for us and give us a righteousness that is not our own. That's what Jesus came to do. God's not just standing idly by. He's not the watchmaker God who winds up the universe and then says, yep, let it all just wind out. But God is actively involved. He cares for his people. And he sent Christ, and by his Holy Spirit, he continues to work in our lives and on the earth. And any who claim to follow Christ but act wickedly, those who claim to follow Christ but instead oppress and make prisoners. Those who instead cheat and defraud and harm the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner. That's who God's reserved judgment for. That's what God says very clearly through the Old and New Testaments. This past week I did the, uh, the truth walk at Algoma U. And um, I was already thinking about residential schools last Sunday when we did Psalm 137. Um, thinking about the people who were taken from their family, those who were killed, those who were raped, those who had little babies from those rapes that were killed, all the things that happened in those schools that were not what God wanted, that were so far from what God wanted, and things that were done in the name of the government and education and in the name of Christ from the churches that were involved. That's not God's heart. That's never been God's heart to break up families and to cause harm to the vulnerable. Christ said instead, right, that anybody who does things to a child like that, right, they should have a millstone thrown into their neck and drowned into the sea. That's Christ's view on that stuff. But we also stood in that walk in the small chapel, probably one of the most complicated parts of the whole thing, right, was you're standing in that chapel and you're hearing about people that even as they heard that this is who they were, they heard that they had no value, that things were done to them. But they also encountered, some of them, a God that they would believe in their whole lives and continue to pass that down. That they still heard of a God who loved them and found that truth and found the gospel in that. Not because that's how God intended for things to happen. That's evil in the world that hasn't been defeated yet. But that it's still in the middle of it, some of them heard the gospel and found Christ. Man, to untangle what's happened to you there with the truth of who Jesus is, that's a hard thing. But I thank God that he's redeemed people and redeemed parts of that. And I think I have more than an, more than an academic interest in um, 
indigenous Christianity and indigenous um, followers of Jesus and indigenous churches in Canada. It's amazing to see what the Holy Spirit has accomplished um, with people in their culture and bringing wholeness and bringing healing and bringing hope because that's who he is. He's not the one who says, I'm going to erase who you are and take that away. I'm not going to be a person who's going to blow up your families and harm your children. But God wants a wholeness and a shalom and a special concern for those who are oppressed, a special concern for those who have been hurt, especially hurt in the name of God. Because evil is always self-limiting. It's always going to have an end point. It's going to run out of gas at some point. It's always going to be found out. And when evil in its latest form, its latest fad, its latest trend, its latest expression has petered out, whenever the latest government or educational idea um, or war has ended, the gospel is going to continue because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's the one who took all sin and suffering and death on himself, and he was the lamb who was slain and then rose again to life. And when you've defeated death, and defeated sin, and defeated the devil, and one day he says he's going to put everything under his feet. Nothing can stand against that. The gospel continues to be preached because Christ is still risen. Christ is still there, and Christ is still the one who comforts the brokenhearted and lifts them up. Christ is still the one who enables us to deal with not only the injustice outside of us, but as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line that cuts through every human heart. We don't just have people out there doing evil things, but in us, there's always evil to be identified and repented of. And Christ came to do that too. Christ is the one who came to save us. I think of Saul in the New Testament, right? That he's the one who was persecuting the Christians. He's the one that was actually rounding them up to be killed, was killing men and women. Didn't matter to him. He just wanted the Christians to be gone. He saw them as a menace and a distraction. And he encounters Jesus. And a light shines around him, and a voice says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then, and then the voice says this. This is what Jesus says to Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. He's using this agricultural expression, right? As they would have oxen and um, having them hooked up to do, you know, like rudimentary farm machinery. That if the oxen kicked, they would have spikes on it, right? And the, the oxen would actually hurt themselves if they were kicking against it. Now, is that God, like, saying that's the best way to treat animals? I don't think so. I think it's using an expression that Saul would understand. <laughs> that if you, if you kick against it, you're using your effort to just cause harm to yourself. The more you fight and struggle against what God wants to do, the more you insist on harming and persecuting and killing God's people. Do you realize you're not just harming them, but you're all also hurting yourself? And that's the nature of evil. It doesn't just hurt others, but it harms the one doing it. It twists our souls. And when we go look and go, oh, all the evil's out there. It's just by these other people. It's in the past. And we stand aside and condemn that. We're failing to see that Christ died for us too. And Christ says to us every time that we are tempted, every time that we have a choice to make, are we going to say that word? Are we going to look at that thing? Are we going to cross that boundary? Are we going to hold on to that bitterness instead of turning it to forgiveness? Man, it's hard for you. Just kick against the goats, Meredith. Why don't you surrender that? Why don't you come to me? Because Christ is the only one who can transform our evil and our bitterness and turn things for good no matter what they are. That's everything in history and everything in our own hearts. That's what God is capable of. So we don't turn to 
people or ideas or philosophies or in this passage they say princes. We don't go to where we think the power is in that cultural moment. We don't turn to ourselves as if we're the ultimate authority. We praise and worship and turn to God because he's the God of Jacob. He's the one with the power. He's the one that can save. Now, sometimes we'll get frustrated with life when we're doing things that are in God's will, right? But there's a difference there. There's God's sustaining hand. There's a lifting up that God does. There's an empowering by his spirit when we're in his will and things get difficult. And it's far different from when we're kicking against God and we're just like, oh, there's, there's no grace for this. This is all me. I've certainly been there enough times to recognize that. When I've got to say, okay, God. Okay, God. I'm done with this. C.S. Lewis also says, you know, everybody wants progress, but if you take in a wrong turning, the person who turns back first is the most progressive man. When we've turned in our hearts, either a whole life direction or just an area where we lack surrender, the quickest we turn back, the faster we say, okay, God, you can have this, because I trust you, and you, you know better than me anyways. <laughs> Would you forgive me? That's our quickest way back to making progress. Our quickest way back to going forward. And that'll spare ourselves not only frustration, but pain. The great thing is, God doesn't just tell us this individually. Again, it's not just an individual instruction. It ends with verse 10. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Zion's another word for Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Everybody has access to this. This isn't just your God or my God, the God of Jacob or the God of my grandparents. This is the God who said he was going to draw all people to himself. That even in Psalms and even in the Old Testament, we have prophecies that all nations will go up to Jerusalem. Everyone will see what God has done. And Christ is the one who said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And so what God leads us into is a community that all of us can say, praise ye the Lord together. We're gathered to express that. We rejoice together. And so in community, we can express when life is hard, our pain. We can express our trust in God. We can pray for people when they go through hard things or broken knees or hips or all those other things. When people lose children. When people celebrate things like weddings. Buying a house, all the good stuff in life. We get to do this together as the people of God. And saying together, we recognize when things are broken, need to be made whole. But also when God has done good things, we get to celebrate them together. It's the gift of community that God has given us. So as we finish today, a bunch of us are starting the new school year. And to us, we're going to say, praise the Lord. There's people I know in Espanola that have just lost their job because the paper mill's closed for at least a year, probably much longer, if not forever. And to them, God still says, praise the Lord. As the church steps in, of course, there too, to help encourage people and strengthen them and give things, help them get through that. Whoever you are, whatever your work is, your family is, your situation is, God sees you and he loves you and he's concerned to lift you up. And he's concerned that we continue to love him and serve him and not kick against the goads in any area of our own life. God desires and wants relationships. He loves us. And as we go through the Psalms, I just wrote some things that this Psalm and others have said about him. That God is the God who desires and wants relationship. It says here he loves the righteous. We can be righteous and live those lives through Jesus. 
you're valuable, and through Jesus, you can be washed clean. So you can hate the evil in your own heart without hating yourself. You can look and identify the areas in which you fall short and still know that you are loved and valuable in God's eyes. And that as Christ purifies us, as he says, he makes us a vessel fit for his use. That we live lives of not just following blindly some fate of the universe. That God's given us agency and purpose as we steward his creation. That in Psalms we say, we, we see that we find security and support as Christ leads us in the path of peace. There's a safety and a contentment found in God's shalom, his desire for wholeness and leading us towards that. And so we can work for justice, we can protect others, and we can live faith-filled and quiet lives because of what Christ has done for us. One of the final gifts that Psalm 146 gives us is perspective. And I'm going to have Jared come up and we'll lead a final worship song before we close. But the perspective is this, no matter how good or bad things are, God is still the God who made the earth, the sea, and everything in the world. I'm going to tell you two times in Acts that this is quoted. In Acts 4.24, people have just gotten out of prison for serving God. And they refer to Psalm 146, and they talk about God's control over what happens and God's ability to bring good things out of the situation, because he's the God who's created everything. But it happens again in Acts 14.15. And that is when God does a healing miracle through, who else? Paul and somebody else. And everybody goes to them and goes, wow, you must be gods. The psalm is quoted once in this time when people have been thrown in prison, dishonored completely in a rough situation. And it's quoted again when people in another situation are being lifted up and thought, wow, like, you guys have done all this. You're the best. You must have all the power. Look at you. And in both cases, Psalm 146 is, looked, is, is used to say, look at God. When there's a miracle, he's the one who's done it. When there's people in prison, he's the one that sustained us through it all. But either way, don't look to us, because we're not the ones that any hope comes from. We don't look to people, because people cannot save. God is the one that we put our hope in. And so when we go through hard times as a church, we praise God. When we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, we praise God. We do good in the community. We don't let people pat us on the back and go, oh yeah, that was all us. We say, hey, that was because of Jesus and who he calls us to be. And for his glory and for his name. We get to first and last praise God like, like, these, like these psalms. We get to say, hallelujah, whatever happens. I know that we desire as a church today to be this community. That in our homes, in our workplaces with our friends, what you do on Sunday afternoon and Monday morning and Monday night, to be people who point to God and who he wants us to be and where he is taking the world to be. Not in the sin and the brokenness around us, but in God's vision for where he's taking his people. So as Jared comes up to sing the last worship song, I'm going to ask us to just stand up. and Let's just say Psalm 146. It's the last psalm of the last series. It should be on the screen there. You can always turn it to it in your phones as well if you want bigger text. Psalm 146, let's say this together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed 
and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow, but frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. As Jared leads the final worship song, welcome to worship in your seats, and if you'd like prayer, you can come up to the front. <laughs> 